Thanks for joining us today as you listen to a portion of a message recorded at Vine Life Church in Boulder, Colorado. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can visit us online at www.vinelife.com. All right, who was here last week for Sarah's message? All right, that was awesome. All right, so that was, part of, that was the first part of a two-part series. So today is going to be the second part of that from Equation to Encounter. All right, so Sarah, come on up. All right. All right. Yeah, Hello. Father, oh, you're going to pray for I'm me? i pray for you thank if you, you don't mind. I don't Lord, I thank you all. for Sarah, Father. Thank you for what she brings. Thank you for what you're putting uh, in her spirit, Lord. Father, just speak through her today. God, thank you for um, just what you're doing here, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Bless Amen. your name, Father. Amen. All right. Thank you. Um, so I'll kind of do a quick recap for those of you that weren't here and also to kind of consolidate what I spoke on last week, even if you were here, just to kind of, what was the moral of the story? And when we're looking at equations and encounters, we started exploring in Scripture where there seems to be even like blatant contradictions in what God would ask us to do. And when we start to ask, well, why would he set it up that way? We recognize that he never intended to give us a formula that would remove him from the equation. He was always more interested in the ambiguity that causes us to have to stay in a very present place, that we don't just have the right principle to apply in a situation because we have to stay connected to perceiving what he's doing. And so we looked at how Jesus applied that when he healed the three different blind men, that in each of those situations, it wasn't like, okay, if you come across a blind man, then do this and you'll get the product of healing. It was more that he engaged personally with every situation and with the heart of the Father for that circumstance. And if we're looking for uh, that formula, that, that equation for how to interact with our planet, how to shift our circumstances, because that feels safer than the encounter, then we're kind of missing what he's doing to be with us relationally and in intimacy. And so part of what we've seen in the place of walking people in inner healing is that this comes up a lot. Like, well, I thought if I did this, then this would happen. And I thought the Lord, you know, I thought that if he told me to do this, and so this would be the outcome. And honestly, we become super disillusioned, I think, when we don't see our formulas working out the way that we thought they would. And that's where we explored, even with the Pharisees, the place where they wanted the right answer instead of an interaction with a person, they missed it, right? They missed perceiving the relational opportunity because they were like, Jesus, is it right that you're healing on the Sabbath? Is that the right thing to do? We are not as interested in engaging with you relationally. We don't don't care that much about who you are or what you're here to bring. We're just interested in whether or not this is the right principle that you're applying. And so when we start to look at why we default that way, why we have a propensity for a formula instead of a friendship, I think a lot of what God is 
trying to stir up in us is the place that is comfortable with process instead of product. Because if I have to be in process with every single blind person that comes along my way, it doesn't give me the tidy product of just what do I do to get them healed. It requires something of me to stay relational, to stay in encounter, to stay in promise. And so I was asking the Lord, Father, what is it at the end of the day that keeps us feeling safe in that formula? And what the Lord started to speak to me was that friendship is process-oriented, right? Formulas are product-oriented, and wherever we default to a formula has to do with what we believe about failure. And so I want to look at a few scriptures so that God could start to reframe our beliefs around risk and failure because we'll engage with the process in a totally different way if we have a new grid for what he thinks about process and failure. So if I were to just ask you right now, and I posed a couple questions at the end of the time last week, which was, as I'm moving into encounter, what am I feeling? And what does what I'm feeling point to about what I believe here? Because if I can get in touch with whatever I'm believing in this situation that's wanting me to default to, well, what's the thing I'm supposed to know here? I can actually start to recognize, well, this is what I'm actually believing. I'm afraid here because of this, 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 this. And he can only meet us there. He can only meet us in what we're actually really believing. So I want to go to Genesis 3, 4 through 7. Um, so the enemy has come to Eve in the garden, and um, I was in this scripture for a long time before I recognized this specific dynamic that moved. So we'll read, um, you know, he asks, or she says, you know, we're not supposed to eat from, we can eat from anywhere but that tree, right? And otherwise we'll die. And so you, the enemy says, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Um, what is interesting about the dynamic here is that the enemy really doesn't gain access to her behavior until he changes what she sees. So until he can shift her perception, he really doesn't have authority over her behavior. But he sees two very critical changes in perception, the nature of who God is and the nature of who she is. If he can shift those two things, that's the game changer. So God's withholding something. He's lied. He's not trustworthy. And you aren't really like God, even though he created you in his image. See, she already was like God. 
She was already created in his image. But wherever the enemy was able to see doubt in who is God and who am I because of who God is, that's where he gained access. It was in the place of her belief around those two areas. And that was when she saw something differently. She perceived that this fruit was good. Okay, so I want to look at Peter. So we're going to go to Matthew 14, 28 through 32. And this is when um, Jesus walks on the water on the storm, in the storm, and he's going out to the boat. Um, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, see, all of these have references to something that they perceived, right? They saw something different. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. So there's, there is an important thing that happens when the enemy causes us to perceive something different than his nature and our nature. See, Peter had every access to walk on the water because of who God was and because of who Peter was. He had everything he needed to move in that, but as soon as he perceived something different than that, he started to sink. Um, the other thing that's interesting here that I want you to know before we read the next scripture is that there's this conclusion that's drawn that truly you are the son of God. So everybody kind of comes to this conclusion and this awareness, oh my gosh, this guy is it, right? So let's go to Matthew 16, 13 through 19. So this is where Jesus starts to explore with the disciples, who do you say that I am? When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, other Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This was something where when the Lord was starting to walk me through this process of figuring out why I felt safer in formulas instead of friendship, was that he said, Sarah, do you notice that others in the discussion don't reference that they had come to the conclusion that I was the son of God? Peter is the only one who held on to that awareness. And he said, it's because he took the risk and got out of the boat And even though it looked like a failure, 
He knew me in a way that they never did. So his encounter with me, as messy as it was, caused him to grasp something that the others intellectually perceived but didn't know the way that Peter did. And he looked like a mess. He sank. And the Lord was like, if you perceive that failure and success is the right product, not the right belief system or perception, then you will never get out of the boat. You will spend your life thinking that you did it right if you didn't sink. But Peter knew me the right way after that. He sank, but he knew something about me. So if we can look at the places where we have permission to recognize that the outcome and the product isn't just about having the right answer, having the right way of being, looking the right way, then we are off the hook. See, we hold on to formulas because it's like, but friendship is so ambiguous. I'm going to be a mess in it. I am going to have to stay present instead of bail. I'm going to have to get out of the boat and trust your nature. But Peter does perceive something about who God is, and then he also perceives something about himself. It's the same two questions that the Lord is answering. He wants to take us back to the place where Eve missed the, missed the awareness of those two principles. And I'm so thankful for Peter because I can really relate to him in a lot of ways. I feel like a Peter sometimes, just get out of the boat and then kind of sink. But it it is the place where I'm getting more comfortable with, but yeah, I, I did gain something from that that I wouldn't have gotten any other way. So I can speak to that very clearly this week. This is probably one of the hardest weeks I've had in a long time. I got, last week, my brother Michael shared with me, and he was very vulnerable in his process that we've been in together about the places where he thought, if I did it right, then it should have looked like this. And because of his discouragement around how God had showed up, he was owning the place where he wasn't really ready to encounter God's heart. And so um, what wasn't as obvious was that Michael and I were in relational upgrade, which is Christianese for fighting, until about midnight the night before I spoke. And I've asked Michael if I could share this, and he said absolutely. And what came up for me in the triggering in that place was that there's a place I've wrestled with for a long time that my personality, my message gets lost in the midst of my personality. And I felt really misunderstood by Michael. And I kind of split, actually. I got into these little kid places where I had had friends who I had shown up in a certain way and they had really reacted to it. And what I became aware of throughout the week was that there were still parts that didn't have this that I'm talking on settled. He was actually using this process of me teaching to get at this stuff. And one of the biggest issues that I had was that because I was 
triggered out of my head, I did not feel like my product that I gave last week was a ref- my, I felt like my, the very thing that I was afraid of is what happened. My message was lost in the midst of my mess. And I was like totally embarrassed and ashamed. And I felt really exposed. And I was mad at God that he asked me to do that publicly. So I decided that I probably, there was probably a moment here that he was going to give upgrade and let me take some ground. And I met with my mom for some inner healing. And what came up was that several years ago, I got a prophetic word that I was both a lion and a lamb, and that I would learn how to walk in both of them fully. But what happened in the midst of getting that word was that I became aware of the lion as a kid, and I had judged it, saying, you misrepresent me. You cause misunderstanding. You don't let my real heart be seen. You don't really let me show up the way that I want to. And so in the midst of the session, I saw my lion, and it had one of those sniper red things on its head. And I'm like, okay, so who's trying to kill this thing? And he said, you are. You've always wished that this part of you was dead. And you have never come to terms with the part of you that I gave you to carry because there's still a place that thinks the product is what it's about. And he said, privacy in navigating this wouldn't have exposed the places where you were still wanting to show up in a product. <sighs> so I was like, oh, so literally I'm walking out what I'm going to be teaching on. Like, literally, this is what you're doing right now, and this is what is happening. And he was like, yes. If you think you move on, like you get this, that processes the product, and then you move on to something else, there isn't anything else. You don't move on from process ever. The process is the product. Because, Sarah, at the end of the day, you're going to know something about me, and you're going to know something about you that you didn't know before you messed up last week. (sighs) So... One thing I learned about God's nature in the midst of the session was that after breaking some judgments of this part of me, he started to talk to me about how he showed up as a lion and places where he was misunderstood as a lion and the way that his message, if he showed up perfectly in his personality, they still made it about him, right? And then the second thing that he said about me was, I need you to get to know this part of you. I need you to start to hang out with your lion, and it would be great if at some point you could invite that part of you to actually integrate and be a part of you. Because right now, when I perceive that part, I'm like this. So I broke the judgments over that part, but it's going to be a process to hash out how do I actually engage with you in a way that I don't feel like I'm misrepresented or misunderstood. So after that session, 
I at least felt integrated and more present, but I am still in the process. I'm still walking out this very message, right? So I want to go to Acts as the last scripture. And it's Acts 3, 2 through 6. And this is where Peter and John are going to um, the gate called Beautiful, which I love that. And there's a crippled man there. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Here's what I love about this scripture in the way that Peter had multiple encounters where he was kind of a mess. The transfiguration, right? He's like kind of clueless about what's going on. Then he rebukes Jesus for dying. He denies Jesus three times. Like there's just multiple encounters of his mess. And they come and they're like wanting something from him. And he has something in his eyes about what he has perceived in the nature of God. And that is the only thing he has to give away. He's like, look at me. Look at me. Perceive what I have perceived about who God is and who you are because of who God is. He, you literally only come away with that conclusion. There isn't a tidy product to offer. It is just the perception that we have gained in the mess of getting out of the boat and saying, you know what? As a result of that, I know who you are and I know who I am. So you can look at me, and I'll give you what I have. So I um, found this really great video that was all about permission to be in risk and failure. And it's from the woman who started the company Spanx, which are like um, container underwear for ladies. (laughs) I should have thought of a better way to say that before I came up here. It would have been better to frame that. Yes. So, but this woman is now a billionaire. And someone was asking her what was the key to her success. And she said, well, the key to my success was failure. So really quick, I'm going to ask Jeremiah to show this video. And it's only a minute long, but it does a great job of pointing to where we need to shift our paradigm around failure. Growing up, my father used to ask my brother and me what we had failed at at the dinner table, which was so interesting, and he'd celebrate it, and he'd actually be disappointed if I didn't have something that I failed at that week. So I can remember saying, Dad, Dad, I tried out for this, and I was horrible, and he would actually high-five me and say, congratulations, way to go. And what it did was just reframe my definition of failure. Failure for me became not trying versus the outcome. So, so many people don't take risks for fear of failure. They don't start the business. They don't go create the art they want to create or they don't go try out to be in the play or whatever it is for the fear of failure. And once you redefine that for yourself and realize the failure is just not trying, then life opens up to you in many ways. And I would also, my dad would encourage me anytime something didn't go the way I expected it to or 
maybe I got embarrassed by a situation to write down where, where the hidden gifts were and what I got out of it. And I started realizing in everything there was some amazing nugget that I wouldn't have wanted to pass up. At Spanx, to encourage people to fail, I'm bringing up my failures in front of the team often. So I will stand up and I call them the oops of Spanx. Some of them are the oops throughout the history of Spanx. Some of them can be uh, recent oops that I did, but I'm always openly talking about it. If you're going to have an oops, part of the beauty of it is twofold. If there's a failure quote or an oops in your life, if you learn from it and if you can laugh about it, then it's all worth it. I just watched that and I was like, I'm not sure I totally have a grid for that yet. I still felt, I mean, I'm still navigating feeling pretty weak in places and, you know, there's still humility that really has to happen here and the vulnerability that is more relational than formulaic. Um, But this was the beginning of him changing what his end goal was for me. And so as I let go of the formulas, recognizing that the friendship is messy, but that's what he wants, then I am moving from equations into another encounter and into another encounter and into another encounter. So I want my mom to come up and share. She's going to give a quick testimony. While she's coming up, uh, my mom and I are teaching this class on how to actually walk out moving from a place where you've come at things from if-then what do I do to a presentness, a self-awareness? The class is full, but we're hoping that it's something that we can offer again because this is really what it is, this process of shifting out of thinking that I should have a certain input and an output and getting more comfortable in. If I don't have that, that means I just have a friendship that I have to kind of walk out. And for some of us, that's a pretty intimidating process. Um, so I'm going to let her share a little bit about what God did, in her, especially in her early years, of coming into encounter with Christ. Thank you. Thanks, Sarah. I have a little reminder note in case I need it. I'm having so much mommy joy. I can hardly stand it. Right, you guys? Oh, my gosh. Thank you, Lord. He's so faithful over us and over our children. So um, as Sarah and I were, uh, as she was preparing these talks, we were having several conversations about the dynamics of equation, principles, versus transformation through encounter. And there was a lot up for me because... I just carry a lot of intercession for the bride. And um, I just started asking the Lord, how can we raise the bar? How can we begin to talk about what the potential is in encounter for real transformation? And so um, as I sought him, I was thinking about John 8, I think it's 36, where he talks about whom the Son has set free is free indeed. So that's, that's our bar, right? And I said, well, Lord, how would I articulate that? 
And he said, I want you to give your testimony. Now, in that moment, I'm not really aware of a recent testimony. So I said, okay, where do you want to start? And he said, um, I want to take you back to a promise that I gave you 25, 30 years ago. He gave me Isaiah 54.4. And um, he said to me, you will forget the shame of your youth. And you have to realize at that time, I'm coming out of all kinds of abuses, abandonment, neglect. I'm coming out of addiction. I'm coming out of a promiscuous lifestyle. Sarah, can I have a sip of your water? So um, the Lord began to minister to me through this promise. And I perceived it. It was mine. I was walking in tremendous shame. But this promise was mine, and it was my sword. And I would use it against the enemy when he would come to me in the midst of defilement and shame and confusion and many, many things and many, many years. And, uh, and so fast forward to a couple weeks ago. Now, I'd already gotten the Isaiah scripture in one quiet time, but I didn't have the end of the testimony yet. And I'm waiting before the Lord, and I'm like, what is the testimony? And he says to me, do you remember this thought? And this thought comes up to me. And it's, if you... If people really knew who I was, if they really knew my heart, they would reject me. They would abandon me. Because there's a mess in here. I'm dirty. I'm defiled. All of the, you know, all of the things that were wrapped up in that belief came up at the same time. And I remembered. And I also realized I haven't thought that for a really long time. (laughs) Right? I had forgotten the shame of my youth. I hadn't thought, I, I was like, Lord, I'm looking for it. I'm like, has it been months? Has it, it's been years. It's literally been years since I had that thought. And so what is the power of this testimony? Is, that, is it that everybody who meets me falls in love with me? <laughs> no, <laughs> probably not, right? So um, do I feel grief when I disappoint people? Absolutely. Um, The power of this testimony is the freedom that I get to live in because I don't have that thought anymore, right? I don't even, I haven't thought about it for so long. And so I have freedom. So much of what Sarah uh, shared about the risk, I realized I get to risk. I get to, I get to fail. I get to succeed, right? I don't have to show up with a mask or hiding uh, my fig leaves, right? I have been broken, breaking out of the fear of man for years. Man does not define me. Lord, you define me. You define my destiny. Thank you, Lord. But my favorite, my favorite thing about this is that I know how God feels about me. I know the emotions of his heart. I stand before him 
without shame. And he tells me things about himself. And he tells me things about me, just like what Sarah was talking about. And that is a place where his truth and his revelation about me trumps the lies of the enemy. Thank you, Lord. Now, why, why can um, equation and principle, uh, why is it that we're exploring this? What are we saying about equation and principle? It can never bring the real transformation that encounter face-to-face with God brings. We have to know it. We have to have intimacy. And I thank you, Father, for that. I thank you, Lord, that you have you have created us to fill your heart, to fulfill the passion of your heart for fellowship, for intimacy with you. Thank you, Father. Father, I thank you to raise us up into a place of fullness with you. Thank you, Father. Father, I thank you that your arm is not cut short. You are able to save to the uttermost. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Lord, I thank you that the children of Israel, they knew your acts. But we, like Moses, long to know your ways. Thank you, Lord. Raise up your bride in bridal love and intimacy with you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, very good. So before I invite Luke back up, I just felt the Lord had one prayer that he wanted me to release over um, everyone in the place where we might be ready to start this journey. And it's that that the trauma of if-then disappointments and taking risk and failing would be washed in a way that you could release your formulas for friendship so that he could answer different questions. Who am I and who are you because of who I am? And that's really what he wants to do. But where we have had trauma around well, I thought if I did this, then this was going to happen. And where we've had places where we stepped out and failure was what defined us instead of the friendship process, then I want to bring a washing prayer to everyone before we close. Okay? Thank you guys for letting me be a beautiful mess up here. I mean, it's just the whole thing is just a beautiful mess. That's all it is. <laughs> so, all right. So maybe if that's you and you feel comfortable and you want to stand, that you're aware that you're in that, if you, if you don't feel comfortable doing that, that's fine. But if, if you are recognizing, like, I have my hand gripping formula because friendship hasn't been safe, then I want to just intentionally release over anyone who's ready for being with that. So, Lord, what I'm aware of is that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so I release the testimony of my mom and of myself being in weakness, being in product-oriented places, and where you came and you're teaching me to love my personality. And so, Lord, I pray that that would give people permission 
to be in their process. Lord, I want to speak to every place and every part that's been traumatized in failure or where your formula didn't add up. And I just come right now and I wash all of the religious agenda there off of you. I wash wherever the enemy changed your perception of who he is or who you are. And I release a Peter anointing to get out of the boat so that you can say, surely you are the son of God and look at me because I have a perception of who he is. I release a Peter anointing over everyone that's standing here that they would begin to walk like Peter did in encountering the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Really quick, you guys, there are two great resources. If you are like, where do I go next? Um, There were Two Trees in the Garden by Rick Joyner and Face to Face with God by Bill Johnson are both phenomenal books about coming out of religious structures and into intimacy and identity. And so if you're like, where do I go now? Those are great resources to start with. Thanks, Luke.